Welcome to Sports History 101, a production of the Saints Sports Network. Welcome, everybody. I am your host, Ray Delgado, and this is another episode of Sports History 101. Today, our topic is the 2002 Scuderia Ferrari Formula One season, which was one of the most dominant team performances in the history of the sport. So for those of you who don't know what Formula One is, Formula One is a racing series that is based out of England, and they race, well, it's about, for this season that we're talking about, it was 17 races. It's between 15, 20, something like that races uh, per year, each in a different country usually. Sometimes they double up, but they have basically famous tracks that they go to around the world including, you know, like the U.S., obviously the U.K., all around Europe, Asia. It's very cool and very much a global sport. So we'll just get rolling here. So for Scuderia Ferrari, that's one of the teams. Obviously, Ferrari is the auto manufacturer, and the Scuderia Ferrari is their Formula One team. And their lineup for the 2002 season was Rubens Barrichello, and Michael Schumacher. So how it works with Formula One is each team fields two cars. Therefore, each team has two drivers, and those are the two drivers for Ferrari. So Barrichello moved from Stewart, which was another racing team, to Ferrari in 2000. He won his first career race in 2000 with Ferrari at the German Grand Prix as one of nine podiums and a podium is if you finish first second or third so that's a podium and then the next year in 2001 he claimed 10 more podiums fortunately no wins but 10 podiums Barrichello was a little bit unlucky as he was racing alongside Michael Schumacher Schumacher had won world titles, so Drivers World World Championships in 1994 and 1995 with Benetton, which is another team. And after moving to Ferrari in 1996, he was a huge component in turning the team around. And after four years of impressive improvement, Schumacher won his third Drivers World Championship in 2000 and really put Ferrari back on the map because they, they were the oldest manufacturer and or oldest team in the sport as they had literally competed in every single year since the first year of Formula One, which is 1950. And they were kind of on their back foot, not really doing very well for, for a number of years. So when Schumacher came over, he was definitely a huge hand in helping them get back to back to form. So he, he won the Drivers World Championship in 2000, and then he repeated in 2001 in dominant fashion. And in those years, Ferrari also won the Constructors World Championship. So in Formula One, you have, as I just mentioned, the Drivers World Championship, which is what each individual driver competes for. And in racing, get into it a little bit later, um, you get points. So, uh, so the driver gets his own individual points, and that's what he competes for for the Drivers World Championship. And then for the Constructors World Championship, which is the basically the team championship, the team competition. The 
two drivers from each team, their points are added up, and that is what the team's score is. So Ferrari was on top of their game, that's for sure. So going into the 2002 season, Schumacher was by far the best and most dominant racer on the track. The 2002 Formula 1 season opened on March 3rd in Melbourne, Australia at the Foster's Australian Grand Prix. All of the teams, or at least at least as, as far as I can tell, all of the teams developed new cars for each season, but it seems that they were rolled out on different timelines. Therefore, Ferrari was using their F2001 which was a team, which was a car, excuse me, from the year prior. And they would use that for the first three races of their 2002 season. For a little bit of background, before each race in Formula One, the teams go through qualifying to determine their starting position in the race. It's done differently now, but at this point in Formula One history, qualifying consisted of a one hour session on Saturday which was the day before the race. They always raced on Sundays, still do. So one hour session on Saturday in which each of the 22 cars, so 11 teams, again, two drivers per team, put in a max of 12 timed laps. So they could go out whatever, at whatever point in that hour session they wanted, and they could basically count a max of 12 timed laps. So, you know, they obviously had some some warm-up laps because you, know, you have to warm up the car and the tires and whatnot. But the ones that counted, they only had 12 tries, which is quite a few. After they had put in their time laps, then the quickest lap from each car was then ranked from fastest to slowest. And that was their starting order for the race the next day. So pretty simple. On Sunday in Australia, the Ferraris lined up 1-2 on the grid. Barrichello and Schumacher, respectively. As the cars lined up for the race, the lights went off and 20 cars went racing. Or 22, actually. Actually, excuse me, 20. There were 22 cars supposed to be in the race, but one of the teams was called Arrows Cosworth. Their cars couldn't start up for the warm-up lap, so... For each race, you put your car out there on the grid because you have, you know, a starting a starting box, basically. And you know, your team's out there getting everything set up, getting ready to go. And then they will get a, a, form, a formation lap is what it's called. And it's basically a warm-up lap where you just kind of go at a, at a relatively slow speed, warming up your tires, making sure everything's okay, you know, doing that kind of thing. So you do one lap, come back, stop back in your box and then you start the race once the lights lights go off so the lights went off and only 20 of the 22 cars were racing schumacher got a slow start and quickly barrichello was under threat from ralph schumacher who was michael's brother who had started in third going into that first turn it was a sharp right-hander barrichello braked to make the turn and caught Ralph Schumacher out basically, which caused him to run into the back of Barrichello's Ferrari and literally go straight over the car, fly through the air. And then he actually managed that. He didn't do anything. He was just along for the ride. Uh, 
but the car actually stayed, you know, right side up and then just kind of skidded into the wall with not a whole lot of issue. Like the guy, um, Ralph Schumacher got out perfectly fine, no injuries, and he was good. But that crash caused a chain reaction of unexpected braking because they all weren't, no one was expecting everyone to slam on their brakes. And cars bailed out in all directions, forcing eight cars to collide and retire from the race. And unfortunately, as you would expect, one of those was the Ferrari of Rubens Barrichello because he got run over, literally. <laughs> Michael Schumacher managed to avoid the collisions and come away in fourth as the safety car pulled onto the track to allow for cars to clear. So another part of Formula One is the safety cars. So when an accident happens, usually something like this where there's eight cars that are out, you have a red flag, which means that you come around and in order of what of where you are when the red flag came out, you park in the pit lane and get out of your car and wait because there's so much that has to be cleaned up. But apparently they didn't red flag this because there weren't any real driver injuries. It was just cars. So they yellow flagged it, which means, or they, yeah, yellow flag, which means they pull out a safety car. And that means a car comes out right now. It's a Mercedes. I don't know what it was back then. And drives at a slower speed, like, you know, probably like 70 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, something like that. And slows all the cars down basically so that they're not going so fast so that as the crews go out to get all of the cars that were broken down or, you know, smashed up and whatever, they wouldn't be hit by a car trying to go 200 miles an hour or, you know, at least a hundred miles an hour around a corner. So eventually the race restarted. Yes, we're still in Australia. I know this is a very long explanation, uh, eventually, the race restarted, and even amid another couple of safety cars for other accidents, Schumacher and his Ferrari worked their way up the leaderboard and into the lead. He took the lead on lap 17 and never relinquished it through the end of the race, finishing 18.6 seconds ahead of Juan Pablo Montoya in second place. 18.6 seconds. That's a huge margin. If you know anything about racing, you know that a second is a pretty pretty substantial, you know, amount of time. 18.6 seconds. That's like he might as well have just lapped everybody. And I he I believe he actually lapped most of the field. Now that I think about it. So that win gave Ferrari and Schumacher 10 points in each of the drivers and constructors championships. So for reference, points at this time, again, it's different now, points were given out to positions one through six. So first through six got in order 10 points, six, then four, three, two, one. So if you finish worse than sixth, you got nothing. Two weeks later, the second round commenced with the Malaysian Grand Prix. Schumacher once again qualified on pole with Barrichello taking third. On the first lap, Montoya, the guy who was racing the Williams, that who Schumacher beat last time, touched 
causing both to lose position and have to pit to repair the damage. So it wasn't bad enough for them to have to retire from the race, but enough that they both had to pit and obviously lose some time. Barrichello led for a while before his Ferrari had an unfortunate engine failure, which caused him to retire from the race because obviously if your engine's not working properly, then you can't do anything. With one Ferrari down and Schumacher behind the Williams, team finished first and second, but I'm sorry, that didn't make any sense. So the Williams team finished first and second, but Schumacher still managed to get onto the podium and earn four more points. So he finished third, and I believe, to my knowledge, that's the lowest he finished the entire year. But that's, you know, let me get out of the bag. The Malaysian Grand Prix was the only time in the 2002 season that a Ferrari driver was not on the first or second step of the podium. So that was one of, was the only time that they finished third or worse, which is pretty substantial. That's, that's very crazy. On March 31st, the Brazilian Grand Prix took place in Sao Paulo. This time, Schumacher was outqualified by Montoya in the Williams, but that would not matter as the Ferrari got out in front on the very first lap and held on for the victory. It's really a shame because another failure for Barrichello meant that he once again had to retire from the race, this time on lap 16 with a hydraulic issue, which kept him through three races with zero points for the season. Schumacher still held first in the driver's championship, eight points clear of his brother with 24 points, and Ferrari sat second in the constructors behind Williams. The fourth race of the year was to be in Italy on the 14th of April. This meant that the F2001 was to be retired, and it was time for the newly engineered F2002 to make its debut. The F2001 was a great car, a world championship winning car, but the F2002 was engineered to be even greater. We will continue the season after a short break. The F2002 was a dominant car from the start. It looked similar to the F2001, but the entire car was redeveloped. The chassis was new and much lighter. The exhaust systems, radiators, and the entire rear end were tuned to aerodynamic supremacy while properly cooling the engine as well. Ferrari also dropped a new engine into the car, the 051 was a 3.0 liter V10 engine that put out 835 horsepower. How, how awesome must that have sounded? In San Marino, the car made its debut and completely outshone its opponents. Schumacher qualified on pole with Barrichello just 0.064 seconds behind. And in a largely boring race, Schumacher and Barrichello led home a 1-2 victory for Ferrari and showed off their dominance once again. 
Ferrari again was brilliant in Spain as Schumacher claimed pole position. I don't know if I mentioned what pole position is. That's first. That's apparently that's that's a, a horse racing thing originally, but claimed pole position. The fastest lap, which was also recorded, you get an extra point for the fastest lap that if fast lap of the race. And Schumacher also led every lap in the race in route to victory. So in Spain, he got pole position, fastest lap, led every lap and the victory, which is like equivalent I saw to like a perfect game in baseball. Like, holy crap. Like that's just unbelievable. Unfortunately. For Barrichello, during the formation lap, his car suffered a gearbox failure, which removed him from the race. I keep saying unfortunately when it comes to him, because it really sucks. Apparently, his uh, the number two Ferrari was not as well equipped as the first one, apparently. Or maybe he just had some bad luck. His next time out, Schumacher claimed his fourth victory in a row, and fifth of the season in Australia. I'm sorry, not Australia, Austria. This one, however, was very controversial for Ferrari. So Rubens Barrichello was having a fantastic race, hands down. He earned pole position to start the race and then held the top spot for subsequent safety car restarts and everything. He had the best pace of any car on the track and held off Schumacher all afternoon, who ran second for nearly the whole race. With just 10 laps remaining, both Ferraris pitted, and shortly after, the team principal, Gene Tott, team principal is basically the team manager or, you know, the main guy at the team. So Gene Tott ordered Barrichello to let Schumacher pass him. Their reasoning was that Schumacher was the one vying for the driver's title, and the four extra points that he would gain from the victory versus second place, so six versus ten points, could be the difference at the end of the season as to whether he wins the title or not. Naturally, Barrichello flat out refused, but he was given an order and following through with that likely would have jeopardized his future with Ferrari. That is following through with not listening. Barrichello continued to refuse right up until the final straight when he slammed on the brakes at the last second to let Schumacher get by him for the win. This caused a tremendous amount of booing, and Ferrari got a lot of negative press for the decision. I And I, I don't understand why they wouldn't. Even on the podium, they always have a podium ceremony. And because of the booing, Schumacher actually traded places with Barrichello and handed him the winner's trophy while they were on the podium as a kind of consolation. Obviously, that doesn't mean anything. Barrichello still came second. But, I mean, even Schumacher could realize how horrible situation it was. And then, to add to it, Fry was given a $1 million fine for the valuation. Violation. Wow, can't speak today. Which, I mean, in any instance of any sport that's a ridiculous amount of money like that's so much money but i mean you think about it like it was a fixed race you know in so many uncertain terms like that's that's what it was and they obviously the sport of 
racing F1 specifically just don't ever want to see that ever. So after that, the next race was Monaco and the Ferrari drivers qualified third and fourth and then finished second and third. And it was just the second time in the season that either Schumacher or Barrichello was not the victor. And in my opinion, it was a little ironic as Monaco is basically the most iconic track in the sport. I mean, people who watch the sport avidly might disagree and they might say that like Silverstone in the UK and, you know, other tracks might be more iconic, but for the layman, the people who hardly know what F1 is, they would definitely recognize Monaco. So Ferrari, oh, so sad. They finished second and third and not to be deterred their next time out in Canada the famous red cars would find success. Schumacher and Barrichello qualified second and third behind Juan Pablo Montoya in the Williams. The Williams was a very, very good team at this time. Barrichello got off the line in fantastic fashion and moved from third to the lead on the very first lap and would hold on to that position through the first 25 laps. He then relented to Schumacher, who he'd wasn't told to let him pass. He actually, you know, Schumacher actually got by him and he would ultimately win for the sixth time that year. And Barrichello ended up finishing third, actually. That win put Schumacher squarely in the lead of the driver's championship with 70 points. And his brother, Ralph, in second place, had just 27. So far and away in the lead. And then Ferrari held a comfortable lead in the constructors' championship 32 points up on their nearest competitor with 86 points total. At the Nürburgring, which is a track in Germany, Barrichello finally broke through with his first win of the year. The Ferraris were far and away the best car car on the grid. Barrichello qualified fourth to Schumacher's third, but come race time, they were absolutely dominant. Barrichello jumped the front runners on the first lap and literally led from wire to wire. So first lap to last lap. Both red cars were the only two in the race as lap after lap, they pulled further and further ahead. This was great, but also posed an issue for Ferrari. They didn't want a repeat of Austria when they gave Schumacher the win, literally handed it to him on a silver platter. But that also undermined their reasoning for giving that order if they didn't keep it consistent, if they didn't tell Barrichello to back off and let Schumacher win again, he's still in the same position. You know, he still doesn't have the driver's championship secured, so those points don't matter. But ultimately, and I'm glad this happened, they let Barrichello cross the line in first. A victory that was very well earned, and probably quite validating for his place with the team. You know, if you're the second car to Michael Schumacher, who by all accounts is the greatest racing driver of in the history of the sport. He wasn't yet then because he still had some work to do, but he was he was the best on the grid at that point. Has to be tough playing second fiddle to that and also having to give up races to him. So 
get off my soapbox here. The uh, the ten points that Barcello won from the win moved him to within four points of second place in the drivers' championship. So that just kind of goes to show you is second and third and you know everything except for first was still very much up for grabs. But Schumacher was absolutely running away with with the top prize. On July 7th, Formula One came home to Silverstone in the United Kingdom for a race known for damp conditions. Obviously, the UK rains quite a bit. So generally, when you think of Silverstone, you think of a gloomy, overcast day and a little bit of rain. And that's exactly what they got. Barrichello managed to beat out Schumacher by 10 hundredths of a second to qualify second. But as he was starting to get going for the formation lap, his car stalled. Luckily, he was able to get it started again. But because of that issue, he was forced to start the race from the very back of the grid. Schumacher held his position once the race began, and which was now second, and Barrichello managed to charge up the field in really impressive fashion. He gained like six places in the first two or three laps or something like that. On lap six was where things really got interesting for everybody. Rain started to fall and quickly became steady enough to prompt a change to the wet tire compounds. So this is something that we haven't mentioned yet in this episode, and that is tires. So tires on a Formula One car are hugely important and have a large impact on how a car runs a race. In 2002, there were two tire suppliers that teams contracted with. It was Michelin and Bridgestone. From what I could gather, at this time, there were two compounds for dry weather and two for wet weather. In short, for the dry weather tires, one compound was softer, which allowed cars to go faster but would degrade quicker, than the harder compound, which was not quite as fast, but it lasted longer. So it was a trade-off of the soft tires. You go a little quicker, but you're going to have to you know, definitely make a pit stop quicker and the harder tires, which you will run a little bit slower, but you can stay out there longer. So it was a toss up. And then the wet weather tires had intermediates, which were for damp conditions, you know, light rain and things like that. And then wet tires, which were for full wet conditions. So real rain, you know, water on the track for sure. And, and stuff like that. Bridgestone had been a supplier for a number of years as of 2002, and Michelin had just re-entered the sport in 2001. That meant that teams had a choice between the two, and Ferrari, along with four other teams, chose Bridgestone, which proved to be the right choice. The F2002 was a fantastic car in terms of aerodynamics and engineering, but it was made even better when paired with Bridgestone tires. Time and time again, the Ferraris pulled ahead by huge margins because of their superior cars and superior tires to many of the other top teams who chose Michelin. 
like that of Williams and McLaren. Ferrari tires seem to last longer and get better performances in all conditions, but Bridgestone's superiority became abundantly clear at Silverstone when their wet weather tires were used for the very first time in the 2002 season. They hadn't been used yet that year, so no one really knew. There had been talk earlier in the year that they were some really good tires, but no one had needed them yet. So this was their their debut. So to recap on the race real quick, Schumacher's second, Barrichello's baking his way up from last after his engine stalled, and rain is starting to fall at Silverstone. The field pitted to put on some intermediate tires, and away the Ferraris went. Schumacher built a substantial lead that would not be challenged at all. And by lap 16, Barrichello had made it all the way up to second place. Then, for good measure, he spun, which dropped him down to third place. But just a few laps later, he re-overtook Montoya and sat comfortably in second for the rest of the day. Schumacher finished the race 14 and a half seconds ahead of his teammate and 31 and a half seconds clear of their closest challenger. In short, sheer domination. I know it probably seems like the same things just keep getting repeated about each race, but it really was an exciting year for Ferrari, despite the monotony that some might have felt that, oh, they're just going to win again. Their success would soon be realized in full form, and you will realize it too after this break. It seemed to be a foregone conclusion as to how the day and ultimately the Drivers' Championship would end following the French Grand Prix on the 21st of July in 2002. Schumacher and Barrichello lined up behind Montoya at the race start, having qualified second and third. More misfortune came Barrichello's way as he was unable to start because of an electrical failure, which made Schumacher the lone Ferrari. The race was a good one, and Schumacher looked poised to win, but coming out of a pit stop, he crossed over the white line on the exit, which is prohibited because it could potentially be dangerous to cars passing on the track, and for that, he was given a drive-through penalty, which means that he had to drive through the pit lane, I don't know if it was on his next lap or just you know, sometime within a few laps. He had to basically go into the pit lane and drive through it at the speed limit, which is, I think, like 60 miles an hour. Uh, He didn't have to pit or anything. He just had to drive through it, which obviously loses you at least 15, 10, 15 seconds, something like that. And after serving that penalty, it didn't look good for him as he came out behind Kimi Raikkonen in the McLaren with just five laps to go. Raikkonen was a great new young driver, and he looked ready to win his very first race. But unfortunately for Raikkonen, a Toyota that he was near to lapping broke down and dropped oil on the track. Raikkonen did not see the oil and hit it and went into kind of a half spin around a corner, which took him really wide, obviously, and allowed Schumacher to 
pounce and jump into the lead, really. He then cruised to victory. And just 11 races into the 17-race season, he won the Drivers World Championship. That is so early, it's insane. And he was the very first ever to win the Drivers Championship as early as July. The season didn't end until, I think, September. And he was he won it in July. Crazy. He tied... Juan Manuel Fangio for the most career championships with five and did it by winning his 60th race. And that was already the mo- the record for the most wins ever. I think it was 52 was the record before then or something like that. So he was already making his name as basically the best there ever was. This was a huge accomplishment for both Schumacher and Ferrari, but there was still work to be done. Ferrari had a commanding 128 to 66 point lead over Williams in the Constructors' Championship, but mathematically, Williams was not out of the fight just yet. So Ferrari had to continue performing, but for not much longer. The German Grand Prix was next on the calendar, And being a German himself, Schumacher was not going to let the opportunity to win on home soil pass him by. And of course, he didn't. Holding a comfortable lead at Hockenheim for the entire afternoon, he bested Montoya in second by 10.5 seconds and managed to put Ferrari ever closer to the Constructors' World Championship. They wouldn't need to wait long, as Hungarian Grand as the Hungarian Grand Prix proved to be a difficult place to overtake. Barrichello started on pole with Schumacher just behind, and both got off the line very well. And with just one on-track pass for the entire race for any team, the prancing horses crossed the line within a half second of one another and 13.3 seconds clear of the field. Fittingly, it was Barrichello who got to celebrate his team winning the championship while on the top step of the podium, leading the race from start to finish after what you could probably imagine was a relatively difficult year. He managed to, you know, be that guy who won the race that got them the Constructors' Championship. For once, maybe just for a little bit, he wasn't quite second fiddle to Michael. With that, Ferrari had won their 12th Constructors' title, tallying 157 points, which made the margin too wide to bridge for Williams, who had 77. The season was a rousing success already, but there were still four races to go. The season ended in a blur of red, as for good measure, Scuderia Ferrari won all four races. Schumacher winning in Belgium and Japan, and Barrichello winning in Italy and the United States. And to pour salt on the wound for the other teams, when one Ferrari driver won, the other was right alongside of him in second place. 
pretty disheartening, I would imagine. To close the season, Ferrari won 15 of the 17 races. That tied the most wins in a season by a constructor with the 1988 McLaren team. In that time, they also won 10 races in a row, which was second all-time, again, to McLaren. I think they won 11 in a row. Schumacher won 11 races en route to his world championship, and Barrichello won four. As mentioned, Schumacher's title win was the earliest ever, and it was the most wins in a season. His 11 were the most by two. He had actually equaled the record with nine earlier in his career, but he set it by winning 11. On top of that, the two drivers had nine one-two finishes, which was the second most ever. And between the two of them, they stood on the podium 27 times, which was the most ever by a pretty significant margin, I think. The team, Ferrari, won the Noble World Championship, both the constructors and drivers, that's what it's called when, the, when you win both, and won their fourth consecutive constructors championship dating back to 1999 and spoiler they would win the next two to win six in a row because they were just that good the 2002 scuderia ferrari season was an amazing one and a great testament to how ferrari continued their goal of ever improving and beating the brakes off of their competition as time went on most of those records set in 2002 were broken by one, the 2004 Michael Schumacher and various Mercedes teams starting in 2014 when they rose to power with the hybrid era and began their complete domination of the field. However, that does nothing to diminish the fantastic season that was had by Ferrari, Michael Schumacher, Rubens Barrichello, Gene Tott as the team principal, and everyone in the Prancing Horses garage and factories. The, everyone, you have to hang your hat on that as being a fantastic season and a fantastic experience. That is it for this topic. Formula One, I just want to say a few words on that, is uh, it's a little tough to get into. Um, you know, if you're not from Europe, you're not from England, you know, you likely did not grow up watching Formula One. And because of that, it's it's a little tough to, to figure out and get into, but I would say it's well worth it. I not so, well, pretty recently got into Formula One. And really what spurred my interest was the Netflix series. It's called uh, Formula One Drive to Survive, I believe. And I mean, if you've got a little bit of time, you know, watch a couple episodes and if you love to learn about new sports like I do, it's a fantastic tool to do so. And what it does, it takes you through each team and each driver on the grid and gives you some background. It also teaches you about the sport and what it, how they actually run the sport. You know, what, is it, what does it mean to be on pole position? How does qualifying work? You know, things like that. What is, how, why do tires mean so much? Stuff that, I mean, I had absolutely no idea about, but they, in a very entertaining fashion, it's not just a documentary, 
it's, you know, you feel it. They take you through the season and, you know, the highs and lows and the drama and all that stuff. Very interesting. And that really helped me to get into Formula One. And since I've gotten into it, it's a really, really exciting sport. Very cool sport. One that is very dynamic and there's a lot of strategy that goes into it. Um, a lot of little nuances and things that I still don't understand yet. and probably will take me a while, but I feel like that's the fun of it. So if this has piqued your interest at all, please, you know, try and watch a uh, Formula One race right now. ESPN holds the rights. So they're on ESPN, the races. Um, the season is almost over. The 2020 season is almost over. So you likely won't be able to watch any of this year, but that gives you time to watch that Netflix series and get ready for next season. So uh, I think that's it for the plug that I felt was necessary. Oh, I would also like to mention different topic. If you have any ideas for topics that you would like to hear about, like to hear me break down and go through, uh, drop us a line on Twitter. We are at saintssportsnet or on our website saintssportsnetwork.home.blog we'd love to hear from you and obviously you guys have some pretty good ideas things i probably never would have thought about so please if you have a topic or an athlete or a team or you know anything in that realm that you think people would like to know about let me know until next time everyone Stay safe and remember that Jesus loves you. Thanks for listening. Check out more content from the Saints Sports Network at saintsportsnetwork.home.blog.